Welcome to another episode of the Rockfit Files. I'm Rocky Snyder, and I have the pleasure of having Phil Greenfield as a guest on the show today. And it's interesting because I got to know Phil through my mentor, Gary Ward. And Gary lives over in London. And right now, Phil, he's over in the UK as well. But we have a an interesting coincidence here is that he is a certified instructor and teacher in what's called zero balancing, which was developed by an osteopath by the name of Fritz Smith. And Fritz is actually from the Santa Cruz area. And I got to study zero balancing back in the late 90s. And to be honest, I don't meet too many people that practice zero balancing, which is helping to align the structure and energy within the body. Kind of a hands-on approach. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about the book he wrote called Unraveling, Letting Go, Getting Well. We'll be in the, I would say, the esoteric end of the spectrum, more than the structural, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, I, for me, when it comes to zero balancing, uh, it, it just went along with, with my path in getting away from, not to get away from the muscles of the body, but not be so muscular centric. If, if we could use that phrase, I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to be so focused on the muscles, even though that's what the industry that I'm in is mm -hmm. all about. But as soon as I started focusing on what the skeleton is doing, what mm -hmm. the bones are doing, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have to be so concerned with what the, what the tissue was doing, because if you got the bones to move, well, the tissues that connect to them, we're going to have to respond in kind. So when it came to uh, to zero balancing and Fritz's work, to actually put your hands on the bones and to mm -hmm. explore that relationship in the body was was really quite game changing for me, or at least a, um, a paradigm shift, if I could, a, yeah. the way of looking at things. How yeah. did you come upon Fritz and his work. I'm curious. Um, I I just um, what what happened? I just qualified from the McTimony Chiropractic School in Oxford in England, and one of the chiropractors uh, had done a zero balancing workshop and came to do as a it was like a study day, you know. And so we, we I arrived early and she got a table set up at the front and of course I rushed up and went like you know can I be the body as you do because you know you want to you want to feel this thing and I'd, I'd read a little bit about zero balancing I think this was before the days of the internet so there wasn't a lot of information about but I'd, re I'd read a little article and it, it, it was one of those things that just like set the hairs on the back of my neck standing up um, and so she did a talk and she did a session and I was on the table and I had a zero balancing session and I was you know it's like the contrast between how I felt when I got off the table from when I got onto the table was just so enormous that I thought you know I just need to do this and so you know I, I went on a workshop then I went on another workshop and then I went on another workshop and then I did the certification program and then I went on lots more workshops and and eventually the teacher training and um, it, it was just uh, how long did that take you know that was like 10-12 years of, of regular contact with Fritz every year and, and it was just the most beautiful community as much as anything else you know are you still teaching no no i um i i haven't taught for a while like the last time i taught was in ireland a few years ago um but because i've been making so many alterations in my life that that's gone a bit by the wayside at the moment um but you know whether i will or not i don't know and part of the reason for that is you know and this was you know to do with my involvement in you know what you might call pain science i i went from being very scientific in my viewpoint as a, as a young man to being a complete hippie and getting into all sorts of esoteric stuff which i probably shouldn't have done and got myself in all sorts of trouble and um i i then kind of got to this place where i also had these two narratives in my mind you know that a very scientific way of looking at things and also a very esoteric way of looking at things and i didn't quite know what to do with that it was creating a bit of a polarity in my mind that was sort of defocusing me. So I decided for a while to sort of drift back towards the more scientific viewpoint of things and, and investigate that. And, and that has been fascinating for me. But, but it's also put me a little bit out of touch with some of my old ways of thinking about things. And, and well, I can, you, can you give me an example of the differences between your scientific and esoteric? 
Yeah, I think, you know, probably one of the, the biggest ones is the view of energy. You know, I mean, we use this ubiquitous word energy and it's used in lots of different contexts by lots of different people. And we all think we're talking about the same thing. We're obviously not. Um, and the word energy, I think, crept into the Western vocabulary via Eastern sources, you know, through yoga and acupuncture. And I don't think the term was in any way a reasonable translation of what was trying to be described by chi or prana. Um, you know, chi being the, the the kind of substrate that the acupuncturists use with use, and, and prana being the the more uh, the, the kind of Indian Vedic root. Um, and so, when I was presented with Fritz's narrative about working with structure and energy, you know, and he was talking about body energy. Um, for a start, I was going like, "Yeah, man, this is great." You know, um, in my in my hippie mode, I was I was just going, "Wow," <laughs> you know, it's like we're working with energy. This is tremendous. Um, I kind of knew what structure was, but the whole idea of working energy was just was like such a thrill and the fact you could feel it with your hands and you could balance it and the person would feel better. And it's, you know, that, that was very, very exciting. But I think when I started and, and I know exactly when it happened, because I just started to go on the pain science forums and I was talking about chi um, and, and somebody challenged me and said, uh, you know, what do you mean by that word? And I floundered and, and got neatly dispatched um, by, the, by the person who I was talking to on the forum. And I kind of realized that I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, when I talked about energy, I actually didn't know what it was I was referring to. Basically, I was just repeating somebody else's narrative. Mm -hmm. And so this put me in a bit of a dilemma because I was, I was in the middle of my teacher training for zero balancing. And, you know, one of the things about teaching any discipline is that you actually have a consistency amongst teachers and, and I was starting to come to the point where I couldn't get myself behind the idea of teaching about the existence of energy and, and how to work with that so I, th I thought is there any way that I can kind of reframe this um, in a way which would still be able to teach ZB um, but not actually use that word in the way that Fritz meant it and so I thought, okay, you know, he's talking about energy and structure. We know what structure is. So what is energy? Well, energy is everything that isn't structure. And that could be lots of things. It could be mind. It could be emotions. It could be memory. It could be history. It could be dreams. It could be aspirations. You know, it's like anything that isn't muscles, bones, and, and body tissue, we could conceivably describe as falling into the category of energy. And so, you know, but the, the analogy that I'm sure you know that Fritz uses about sailboat, uh, you know, you've got the structure of the sail and you've got the wind representing the energy. And when these two things are tacked into each other in, in a, an efficient and effective way, then the person's ride through life is exhilarating and efficient. And it's like, that makes sense. You know, that makes perfect sense. Mm. So... I started thinking about it in terms of, you know, like, yeah, if the person's mind and their emotional state and their aspirations and their history are all kind of working with the structure of their body in a, in an, in a, a kind of an efficient way, then you get this, you, you get this smooth ride through life. Um, and of course, the, the commonality, you know, when, when the energy, whatever that is in the structure are in that sweet spot is to do with the right amount of tension. So we're back to the muscles, you know, we've, we've, we're back to the, the elastic tissues of the body and trying to get them in their most optimum state. So for me, that was what zero balancing did, you know, when you actually applied a fulcrum into those deep reaches of the body where the person had no real kind of consciousness of, of being able to change that and you offered this thing that just allowed that to change and they got off the table and they went wow that's different you know simply because some of that deep 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 tension that had been there for years and years and years had suddenly vanished so that that was my kind of more up-to-date take on zero balancing but it was quite a way away from what I'd been taught to teach certainly so and, where where does that leave you right now I mean, because this is quite a, I, I, I've gone through a similar journey with the information that you acquire over the years, you obviously have to make sense of that yeah. 
in yeah. regards to applying it to clients or, or patients, however you term that. But there, yeah. there, needs to be a, there needs to be some type of sense in which you could, you could go forward or else you're just, you're, you're just in this mire. You're, you're in this place where there is no forward motion. You are just so confused that you don't know what foot to put forward. So how did, how did you let that all filter down and, and what, what does that look like today? It, I think, you know, it's like because I've, I've been kind of generally confused in my life with moments of clarity. That's a, that's a, um, <laughs> um, I've, you know, I find complexity very tricky. You know, it's not something that, that is easy for me to deal with it. And so I like to try and reduce things down to the simplest possible explanation that is useful you know that has utility in terms of helping people but also working for myself you know i mean i do this stuff primarily for me because you know it's like i'm wired it's like i need this medicine um <laughs> and so a lot of this investigation started for me you know with meditation and martial arts um, and then getting into the body work but it, it's all been about trying to understand myself and then hopefully offer that out to other people but I think because of my interest in the skeleton, primarily through my martial arts training, through my chiropractic work, and then through zero balancing, for me, the skeleton has become the absolute center of, of, of what it is that I'm working with and, and helping other people to work with. And, and basically the awareness of the skeleton, you know, the, the internal awareness of the skeleton as a reality in the body and its function in terms of bearing weight and this is where we come down to the alignment, you know, that if the skeleton is effectively bearing weight, the very best way it can in any individual, then the amount of muscle recruitment should be at its absolute minimum mm -hmm. and at its absolute most, most efficient to get the job done. And so, you know, a, a lot of the work I do now, as well as doing hands-on body work in an attempt to help people relax deeply within their own bodies, it's also about bringing awareness to the skeleton so that as they move through their life, they can really get a sense of their skeleton inside their body and use it as a tool to de-recruit musculature wherever they can. You know, whether that's standing, sitting, walking, doing any kind of athletic endeavor, lifting, whatever they're doing, it's like, let the skeleton take the weight. Uh, I call it surrender without collapse. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice comment. Yeah, you know we're we're consciously aware of the tension within our body. We're we're finding ways of being able to consciously let that go, but without falling on the floor. And so what that actually entails is that you you notice the bones, you notice the structure of the skeleton in your body, so that that process might ha might happen. You know, and for me, you know, that's been a lifetime process. It's not something you do and there you go. You know, it's like it comes and goes. Um, since I, I was, I've moved to Ireland recently and, and like we started the plan last June and we landed in September and we finally landed in the place we're going to live, which is what, eight months later, something like that. And I was standing on the beach the other day and it's like, I think it's the first time I felt my feet since last June. So I know that, you know, I've been so riddled with anxiety about this process, you know, and all the excitement and all the difficulties and I just stood on the beach and it was like whoa there I am you know but I've not been here for a number of months um, and thank god I've survived <laughs> well and the fact that you bring awareness to your own body when so many other people do not that uh, I'm sure there's so many others that uh, are in that situation who probably don't even get to feel grounded or feel their feet. They're, they're yeah. not aware of that. They're, they're unaware of what they're, they're unaware of, I guess you'd say. So I'm curious though, what road led you to Anatomy in Motion? How did you come upon Gary Ward's work? Um, I met a guy called Rob Kavanagh, who I think was uh, involved in Gary's work at the time. And how did I meet him? Can't remember, long time ago. But he said, oh, do you fancy coming to hang out with this guy, Gary Ward and Chris Ritheran? And um, we all got together at Gary's house and um, they did some anatomy and motion on me and, and I gave them all a ZB. 
and it was a great day. You know, and we had a fabulous time. And it was one of those lovely trading days, you know, where you're going, oh, I've got this idea, and it's like, let's do this, and I'll show you this. And um, the one thing I like about giving people ZBs is because it, it often offers the opportunity, like I had when I had my first session, that you get this kind of contrast experience. You know, you feel like this, you get on the table, you have your session, and then you feel different. And I think that contrast experience is such a massive part of therapeutic work. Because unless somebody feels something different, how are they going to get on board with the ideas, you know, or the process or the journey? You know, you, yeah. to actually have that experience of feeling different is, I think, just one of, one of the, big, the big bits of helping people. So they go, oh, my God, it's like I can feel different. Now, how do I go about doing it myself? Certainly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, when it comes to, like, blending... Mm -hmm. the 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 two worlds of the scientific with the esoteric when we're talking about zb and you're you're going along the spine and applying fulcrums where you feel they need to be yeah. you know we've got the sympathetic nervous system and we've got the parasympathetic and of course they're in different areas along the spine yeah do, do you find some correlation i'm just kind of curious like when do you find people that are very um, in a threat response. They're very sympathetic. That you spend more time with fulcrums along the parasympathetic area of the spine, and and vice versa. Not really. No, I mean I tend to take it in a more general way. You know that if if somebody's off their head, then what they could do with is a bit of relaxation. <laughs> okay, and that's what we put. This, this is me like going like, no, keep me away from complexity, you know, bring me back to simplicity. Um, mm -hmm. If you're holding on, let's see if we can help you to let go. And then how does your background in, well, you mentioned martial arts, obviously, but I know you're, uh, you're, you're very much a fan of kettlebells, as I see in your Instagram posts and so on. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm curious, how do you relate your your background with chiropractic martial arts uh zero balancing to to physical training what what do you do in regards to your own physical work for yeah. for bringing this all together I, I mean i got interested in kettlebells because it was almost like an accelerated version of finding your skeleton it's like mm. you know, if, you've got, if you've got 24 kilos above your head you need to be in your bones because if you ain't it's they're going to murder you without a doubt so when i met my partner maria uh who's from ireland she's um, part of the irish lifting team and you know world record holder and like she's not very heavy and she's he she's hefting some massive weights and i'm going how the hell did she do that you know how can she actually do that for 10 minutes 30 minutes it's mental um and so talking to her when i first met her you know she's saying you know basically i'm just trying to let the bell do the work you know I'm just relaxing in the middle of it and, you know, being the eye of the storm and just letting the belt and gravity and momentum just do the work. And this reminded me so much of the, the work I'd done in Tai Chi and Bhagwajan, you know, the primary standing practice where you're uh, trying to cultivate the quality they call song, which is like basically letting go, uh, like surrender without collapse, that, that kind of thing. Um, and the way she was talking, I was going like, this, this is that, you know, she's doing that practice, but she's doing it in motion and she's doing it with this great lump of metal. And I was thinking, the only way I'm going to find out about this is doing myself. So when I got into it, it just became my like nerdy practice of, of trying to more and more deeply locate my skeleton in the middle of all this movement. And it's just brilliant. You know, I absolutely love it. So did you start to develop your own kind of movements based on where your skeleton was? Or did you stay with the more, I guess you'd say, traditional kettlebell movements themselves, such as the swing yeah. or the snatch or the clean, the squat? Sport lifting is a bit different to hard style training uh, in as much as it's more of an endurance sport, you know, because if you're lifting, say, for five minutes with a single hand change, or if you're lifting for 10 minutes with a single hand change, or if you're lifting for 30 or 60 minutes with multi-switch hand change, 
you know, you, and you're picking your bell weight and you're trying to get the maximum reps, then what you're after is the cleanest technique. Uh, because if you're actually starting to muscle it, that's when you're going to burn. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the efficiency of utilization of the muscles to get the maximum result out of the minimum effort, which is basically using your body structure, the floor, gravity and momentum to do the work. And so for me, it was like I found that I was, you know, I, I don't know if I have an aptitude for it, but the fact I enjoyed it was a, a, a big start. And I think I was finding it reasonably easy. You know, I was coming at it quite, quite late in life um, and, and working up the weights pretty well. And I think it was because I, under, I had an awareness of my skeleton. I could utilize that awareness in the lifts, you know, to find that, that, that place where the line was actually coming straight down and not getting lost in all sorts of compensatory movement. Um, so sport lifting, because it's an endurance sport, you know, it's like, if you don't get the technique right, you're going to burn, you know, and, it, and the point is not to burn because you want to get to the end of the 10 minutes or whatever. Um, whereas hard style training, it's like, I, I haven't done it, but I get a sense that there's a lot more muscular recruitment because you're actually, that's what you're trying to do, you know? So I, I think there's a, there's a crossover somewhere, but I say, I don't know an awful lot about hard style training. So you're much more into the flow of the motion with the help of the kettlebell. Oh, yeah. 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 The bell's the boss, as Maria said. The bell's the boss. Very if you, nice. If you think you're the boss, you're gonna, it's going to kill you. <laughs> so over my left shoulder here, I have a set of Indian clubs on my desk. I'm curious, do you use tools such as those? What are your other go-to tools of exploration? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Maria's done um, Indian clubs for years. You know, we've got two or three sets in the shed and um, they're always coming out. And a lot of the mobility work I do comes from Baguazhang, uh, which is one of the internal Chinese arts, which is very minimal, but very thorough in terms of taking the joints through a, you know, a really good kind of thorough range of motion with no load. And Baguazhang is all very spirally and curly and lovely, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of takes a lot of this linear, linear movement out. Um, so, so that's really where, what I do for my mobility. You mentioned earlier the, the balance between the scientific and esoteric, and it, it seemed to me that you were kind of insinuating, you, you were kind of as in your hippodom, kind of working on the fringe and, yeah. and maybe developing uh, a reputation of just that, that Phil Greenfield, oh, he's out there kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Is, uh, how do you address that? How do you work? Because I, I say it partly from a selfish perspective because I do feel like I am challenging the conventional approach to strength conditioning when we're talking about uh, only doing this arm in this particular manner and that arm in that particular manner, because yeah. the goal here is to restore function and balance to the body. And yes. the way that we're doing it these days is further pulling us away from that goal. So I, I know within the, the strength industry itself, there is a little bit of that that might be poking its head in my direction. So how, how do you address that? I think... I think part of it is to do with getting older, that you kind of come to a point where you're willing to plant your flag in the sand and be yourself, you know, for good or ill, because let's face it, you know, it's like none of us is here forever. But I've always found if I've tried to force myself into into somebody else's narrative, it's always backfired. And, And I think everybody has got this unique version or map of of how things work and when they adhere to it authentically the best stuff comes out their mouth you know the best demonstrations come out of their body and there's an audience for every narrative you know I, i absolutely believe that because you know in my hippiedom it's like when I actually started to go, mm, I'm not quite sure about this and, and started to talk to clients in a different way. I probably lost half of my clientele you know, because they'd all come along with me on, on the hippie train. And then, I'm, I, and then I, and I wasn't going like, oh, no, that's all a load of bullshit. I, I'm just talking differently. 
because my own thought processes are different. And they're going like, mm, I'm not quite sure about this guy anymore. He's, he's not, he's not, because they, you know, the, the, there's a lot of merit in, in knowing that people come to practitioners based, you know, and part of the success of the therapeutic encounter is based on you matching up with the patient's current expectations and beliefs. You know, they mm. find you because you match what they already believe. And so, you know, that is a big part of helping people to become confident um, in themselves because they're getting their beliefs affirmed. So it doesn't really matter what map you work with. As long as you're being ethical, it's like there'll be an audience for the way you do things. And I, th I think we're getting into this terrible place, particularly in the pain science world, you know, where I think you, you alluded to it earlier that, you know, um, everybody's terrified of actually doing anything because it's not evidence-based. Yeah. And I think we're heading towards a big problem here. And I think it needs people to actually plant their, their you know, flag in the sand and go, yeah, we, we know that we haven't got maybe tons of robust evidence for this method that we're using, but we have got an awful lot of anecdotal evidence. And we know that the people who are receiving this method actually like it. And because they like it, they actually get more confident in themselves. You know, because they get more confidence in themselves, they move more. And because they move more, they're getting better. So our job is more as, you know, I, I see it more and more as coaching rather than fixing, you know, as, as edu educating, you know, rather than, than being that classic, in that classic operator mode, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're responsible and we're not just, and we're not actually talking bullshit, you know, and being completely fantastical about what we're offering people, it's like there's no harm in, in moving between maps. You know, and, and, and looking at some ideas from, from the more scientific side and then looking at ideas, because it's all maps. You know, these are all maps of reality through the eyes of different people. And as long as we're not misleading people or creating dependency, you know, if we're not creating dependency, then we're halfway there. You know, that's yeah, that's, ethical, ethical practice. That's why the, the term guide more so than coach or facilitator really strikes home with me. And uh, so when people ask, you know, what do you do? Well, I, I'm a personal guide, you might say. You know, I, I use these different maps to guide people in a direction that they're hopefully wanting to go in and their bodies are gonna respond in kind. So yeah. that's, that's good, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. So when it comes to your own practice uh, of hmm. seeing clients, uh, you primarily, if I'm not, incorrect here, you, you primarily see people that are in some state of chronic or acute pain. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, you know, as we've learned more about the kind of natural history of pain and, um, you know, how people with different kind of pain experiences behave, I mean, there was a day when, you know, if, if somebody was in acute pain and, and called up, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, let's do some work. And I'm, these days I'm going like, you'll be all right in two or three days. You know, don't worry about it. And, you know, ring me up. And they go, oh, I was all right in two or three days. And I was like, told you so. Because that's what happens to a lot of people who are in acute pain. They just get better because that's the way it works. Um, so I, I, in doing that, you know, I think I've got a reputation for it's like people say, don't ring him up. He doesn't want to actually do any work. You know, he's just telling us to wait for two or three days. <laughs> um, but that's okay. So I think in the end, I, I got more of a reputation for working with the people who obviously weren't going to get better in, in, you know, between two days and three weeks. You know, the people who've been in trouble for a long time. Um, and, and that's the work I enjoyed doing the most. But, it, you know, most of the time it was, it was coming down to... Um, chronic tension in the body you know chronic lack of awareness of tension in the body psychosocial factors the narratives that they were using about themselves and to themselves about their condition you know and that's what you know when the bps stuff came out and people were starting to talk about biopsychosocial stuff that's the stuff that really interested me because mm. i was thinking like this is what we used to call treating people holistically back in the 90s <laughs> And we used to get a lot of shit for it, you know, because they were going like, no, 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 you know, pain is just structural, pain is to do with the structure of the body. And we're going, no, you know, you know, we know from experience that there are lots of other factors. So I think we're in a much better place generally now because people are going, yeah, psychological factors are important. Social factors are important as well as any biological factors. 
So I, I, I think we're moving towards a, a much um, more holistic place. Um, but again, the problem is that people are getting into such camps about this and, and it's almost like throwing the bio out with the bathwater now and going, well, it's all psychosocial. And, and like they're missing out on all the, on the, the structural issues and the movement issues. So I, I do think we're in a bit of a mess at the moment, but I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> well, how do you balance all those out in your own practice? Um, I, I mean, I always do a long interview. You know, I always, I always do a long interview because I want to know where the leverage is. I want to know where the place is where you can turn the key and you're going to get some change. And if somebody's showing an obvious structural anomaly, you know, or compensation, then that's the place we might work with either hands-on or doing movement work. You know, if, if someone's like coming in and going like, my life's a complete train wreck um, and I'm not sleeping and, you know, and it's like I've got this terrible relationship with my boss, it's like, that's where we're going to spend the time. And um, if somebody's going, well, I'm bound to be like this because my mum was like this and my granny was like this. And so it's inevitable that I'm going to be like this. You know, that's where we might spend the time. So I'm, I'm fully prepared to go wherever it goes. And um, I, used, I used to get a bit too deeply into the psychosocial stuff when I wasn't really prepared for it early in my practice, you know, just because I was thinking holistically. But I, I tend to do it in a far more balanced way now. And I've got more confidence about that because I can say the research shows, you know, that people who catastrophize about their pain generally get better less quickly. You know, you know, the work's being done now on the psychosocial level. And so we can say those things with a bit more confidence. And do you do this simultaneously between the structural, the, the psychosocial? I mean, are, are you having them on a table or couch and, and you've got your hands on them and then you start to have a conversation with them? Or are these separate events? Well, in the interview, things might come up, you know, like it might be that they've got an anxiety problem and, and they're talking about, you know, having a partner who they can never talk to. And, and so it's like you can see it's all getting bound up, up here. Um, so we might talk about that and we might talk about breathing and diaphragm breathing and upper body breathing. But when on, on the table, this is this is where you can, you know, reinforce those ideas, guide them towards some diaphragm breathing. Um, and actually start to see the whole thing, you know, coming down and coming down. And they're getting off the table and they're going, oh, you know, that, that feels different. That feels so much different. And that's the contrast experience. You know, that's where they, they notice it feels different. And feeling different for me is, has always been the big thing that we should aim towards. You know, it's like, to an extent, it, it doesn't matter whether the ideas we're actually putting forward are, you know, are, are not deeply evidentially based if the person feels different when they get off the table it's like that gives them a possibility of going oh okay so if that can feel different then how do i how do i make that a more permanent state and then you're into working with the you know the stuff you might be talking about for them to do over the next week over the next month over the next 10 years over the rest of their life i'm really glad you bring that up because i that that's something that we keep coming back to also is how does that feel? And I'm not looking for better, worse, good, bad. Does that feel the same or does that feel different? And it's constantly something that we keep asking because if it feels the same, mm. nothing has changed. Absolutely. And the patterns that they are reinforcing that whether we call it a feedback loop or, or movement patterns, if I haven't disrupted that, then yeah. don't expect anything to be different. But as soon as they say, well, that feels different, great. Yeah. We're, we're on the right road. Now, yeah. if, if that difference can be in a positive way, yeah. that's, that's wonderful. However, if the difference is something that is felt like, oh, no, that actually makes it feel worse. Yeah. That's still good. Absolutely. That's yeah. still, uh, that's great information and feedback. Okay. If that made it feel worse, then we know we're onto something. Let's yeah. see if we can't make this change that outcome. But the fact that it's different, let's kind of let's walk through this a little bit more. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think it's sometimes we have to remember that pe the people's experience in their body and their life has become extremely one dimensional. You know, it's like it's always like this. Yes. And so what we would hope for is that you know, we, we can traverse between sympathetic, parasympathetic, between day and night, between yin and yang, 
you know, and we, we've got that ability to, to move between two poles. Um, and for a lot of people, it's like they don't have that experience. So anytime they get something that releases them from the place they're in, and, and it's a bit like the kettlebell, it starts to swing, you know, mm. then it's like, whoa, but that can be hellish scary, you know. Yes. And, that, and that's where we're, we're hopefully there to create a little bit of a, hey, it's all right, you know, it, it's okay, don't worry about it too much, and, you know, and just, just demonstrate that it's, it's safe to change, you know, because if, if people are coming and they're in trouble, they're asking for change. But if they don't Certainly. experience it in their body or in their mental state, like you said, you know, it's like there needs to be a diff there needs to be a feeling different going on, without a doubt. Isn't it kind of just mind-boggling the concept of pain in our modern world, mm -hmm. where uh, there's there's I mean we could dive deep into this, but uh, even just the defining pain. Right. Mm. I, I don't think we've really come into a place where people understand what that is. I mean, it, I, I don't know if I don't want to get I could go esoteric, I guess. But uh, what I mean is that people, one, pain is a part of our life experience. Yeah. And but and there's such fear around pain for most people that pain is going to send them into this downward spiral more often than not and instantly think that there's something there's something wrong with yeah. me yeah do you find that don't you absolutely um and i think it's different for different people you know for somebody who's never had pain and there are you know i met somebody last week and, and he's going like i've never had anything like this before and it was it was an acute back pain and he was terrified i mean frankly terrified because he had no experience by which to know where the hell this was going you know and what the hell might happen and what he might have to have done and the doctors was filling in full of fear you know because they're going oh you know it's like you might be a case for, for surgery and this guy's absolutely shitting himself um, because he doesn't know he's got no way of navigating this territory um, some people have had pain every day of their lives for the whole of their lives. You know, they're in a very different place, you know, mm -hmm. because they've had to learn how to navigate those experiences. But I think one of the, the big problems is that pain is seen as a noun, you know, and it's kind of like it's a thing. And, and if we can find it, because it's got to be here somewhere, if it's a thing, and if we can get it and we can take it out, then we, we sort it. You know, but pain is more of a, it's more of a verb. You know, it's, it's an experiential thing. And it's like, you know, you try and find pain in your body. If you've got some with your awareness, you won't find it. Every time you, find, you, you go for it, it'll move. And so it's, it's obvious that it's a, it's a kind of capricious. It's a, it's a strange thing. And it's context dependent. And it's, you know, and, and we all know these stories of people who have had the most catastrophic injuries, have had no pain. And, and yet there's people who, who have a reminder of something that happened 20 years ago and they're in agony, even though there's no injury. So, you know, pain is bonkers. I think that's probably the best definition. <laughs> I, I, I love the verb too. I mean, we should just put an ING at the end of that word. Yeah, you yeah. know, painting, painting and depaining, or however we'd like it. it. It just changes the conversation completely or changes the concept. And yeah. I, I do agree that it, it is just such a noun right now in most people's lives. Yeah. But and, and the, the other thing is that um, I think one thing that's often missed is pain behaviors. You know, the fact that people in pain move differently, they think differently, they interact with other people differently. And some of those things are, are the things that reinforce the whole pattern. So mm. if we just think of pain as a sensation in the body, I think we're missing an awful lot that as helpers we could be helping address um, because the experience, the sensation of pain starts to develop pain behaviours. So there's like a track, you know, it's like pain, pain behaviours. So if we can start to work with some of these, we can probably start to get it back to, you know, a, a purer form and then, and then help to sort things out. But I think if we don't notice and if they don't notice the pain behaviours and how pain is changing their life, um, which they often don't because they go, I'm in pain, I must be damaged. Please find the damage and take it away. Mm. So, so I've, I've said this for a long time that 
I think that the narrative about pain equals, equals damage, which results in a fix-it mentality and a therapeutic world that is basically a load of technicians, you know, moving bones and doing whatever they do, I think that narrative is more deeply entrenched in the suffering public than it is within clinicians. Ah, so where, what do you think the narrative in clinicians is more like? It's changing. I mean, the fact that it's so deeply entrenched in the public is the clinician's fault. They were the ones who started it. But it's like now a lot of clinicians are starting to go, oh, crap, you know, we've, we've made a bit of a boo-boo here. And some of them aren't, and they go and they're digging their heels in, you know, and they're creating dependency right, left and centre mm -hmm. um, with the biomedical model. But it's like, yeah, it's the clinicians who are to blame. Some of them are waking up. But now we've got to work really hard to actually educate the suffering public out of that mindset. Yeah, it's it's uh, when I, I think of pain, I think of it more often than not as uh, you're you're having a conversation with another adult, and that adult's child is off to the side, uh, misbehaving or jumping to try and gain your attention, but you're yeah. really focused on trying to have a conversation, and it's just interrupting a little bit, and. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look more often at pain than it being like Lassie, the dog, and trying to tell me that Timmy is, is, is in a well about to drown. It's, yeah. it's not like it's, it's not life-threatening. No. And yes, I can acknowledge that it's there, but I'm not going to put all my attention on that pain. I'm going to focus on the individual and what we're trying to communicate back and forth to each other. And then as soon as our communication or their ability to communicate to their body is, is better situated, is, yeah. is better versed, then that, that little child that was jumping up and down is behaving quite nicely. And it actually might be taking a nap right now and, and not disturbing anything. Yeah, I think this, this reframing is really important. You know, I mean, because I was, um, when I came over to Ireland, I was getting into some real anxiety, you know, which is stuff that I, I know of myself it's historically it's a place I can go to and I was going I haven't, I haven't seen this for years you know this is hard mm. um, and then one night I was lying in bed and I was thinking what if I just reframe this anxiety as excitement what if I what if I did that and so I did it and it was great and I was like oh I'm really excited because you know they're, they're both sympathetic arousal you know but it's just a story I was telling myself around it one of them was going like, keep the future away from me, it's dangerous. And, and the other one was going like, bring it on, you know, this is great. So I think with pain, it's like reframing the, the kind of, it's like, I would say that most people who have pain want rid of it. Okay, so they go, here it is, let's put it in a ball, let's put it over there, and then let's try and do this. Mm to actually ask somebody to turn their attention towards pain and to have a dialogue with it is for most people it's like what like i don't i don't want your help you're obviously a complete madman um <laughs> but if if we you know and again i've always tried to find you know what is it that correlates most effectively with pain over the years all the years i've been working elevated body tension okay <laughs> i keep coming back to that so if there's elevated body tension, why is there elevated body tension? Could it be injury, habit, maybe an expression that's not been made, maybe an emotional state that's not been expressed, you know, because we are creatures of expression and we express through movement and the movement happens through muscles. So if we live in an environment where that expression is not welcomed, it's a bit like having the brakes and the accelerator on at the same time. So if you were brought up in a household where, you know, it's like, oh, lovely baby, but please don't make any noise, um, then there's a possibility that as you become an adult, you're going to continue those kind of patterns of wanting to express yourself, but feeling you can't. So in the end, you've got, you've got that kind of isometric muscle con contraction going on all the way through your body. And then in, so that restricts your movement, you know, it might be affect your joints, it'll affect your, your socialization, it'll, you know, maybe pain arises, and then the whole thing just gets wound into that story. So if you turn towards the pain, you're not just turning towards the sensation, you're turning towards the experiences that created the tension that created the pain in the first place, which might be that it's okay to express yourself. You know, and sometimes all it takes is for somebody to give you permission. And then you go well, out I like and that. You go, then you go out and shoot the world up, 
you know, which might be a bit of a <laughs> bit of a sort of an, an, an overexpression. But I, I do think that that, that I mean, that's always been my fascination is, cre is creating that link between emotional response, body tension and suffering. You know, that that's where I, I, I have my real juice. OK, well, I would be remiss in in my conversation with you if if I didn't bring up uh, a book that you wrote uh, oh. just not too long ago, a few years back it was mid mid teen years, I think, 15 or 16. It was uh, and the title is Unraveling. Um, how was how was that project for you in its creation? Do you feel like you got your message across, and what was the message you were trying to get across? I think it was a book about faith, you know, not religious faith, but a deep faith in the fact that biology is intelligent, and given half a chance, it'll do its stuff to help us be well. And we can sort of evidence that by just watching a cut on our skin heal. You know, it's miraculous and, and it happens and we don't have to do anything apart from create the right conditions for that healing to happen. Wow. So having always thought right from the start of my chiropractic practice that it was more about education than it was about intervention. And that we should, as responsible helpers, be giving people as much information as we could for them to help themselves. And trying not to make it complicated and to bring it all back to the context of relaxation. Um, I used to just talk to people about posture and breathing and the skeleton and how if you let go, things will be better. <laughs> You know, it's like real, real simple, you know, concepts like that. And um, one day a guy said to me, you want to write this down? You know, this is actually quite good stuff. So why don't you make a little leaflet or something? And I was just on my way to, uh, on holiday to Morocco and I was lying in a, on a sunbed and this, the title literally fell out of the sky and landed on my head. And it's like, I, I kid you not. I mean, I hear people say that, but it was actually true. And I just went unraveling, letting go, getting well. That's a great title for a book. So I just wrote it down. And then when I got home, I just started putting chapters together and, and it, it all came out as a bit of a rush. Um, but I split it into two sections, things that would help that process of letting go and unraveling and for things to become more balanced and things that would hinder it. So the book is basically split into those two things. So, but it's all about tension. You know, it's all about tension and expression and freedom and the things that actually um, inhibit that process of becoming as expressive as you can possibly be. Um, and again, I wrote it for me because I'm like zipped up, you know, I'm from the UK. It's like, come on. Um, so so it, was, it was a thing, uh, you know, of exploration. But for a start, most of it was about the body, you know, and some stuff about the mind because I'd, I'd been heavily into meditation. And I saw the same kind of principles of relaxation happening in the mind as in the body. And meditation was a big part of that for me. Uh -huh. But the, the bit that crept up on me, which wasn't meant to be in the book, but ended up in it, was the thing about um, secrets and lies and unspoken truths. Um, and how the keeping of information that was charged, like a secret or a lie or, or a need that wasn't being expressed, how damaging that was. You know, and how, how deeply damaging it was, not only to the person and their body and their psychology, but also to everybody around them. And so I went on this big quest in my own mind about, um, you know, why, why it is that, that we, we don't, you know, why we're not straight with people, you know, why we tell all these stories, why we're so convoluted and, and, and conniving and that worst deceiving and, and, and destructive. And so it's kind of this great big ball in my head. Um, so I put that bit in the book and that kind of solved it all because it, it was now out on paper. But that, that was a big part of, of, the, of, of the book. Um, but the idea of unravelling was that, you know, all that stuff, all that stuff that we experience in life and we, and we don't express and we, and we keep in and it's like, just given half a chance, it would sort itself out. And all we need to do is relax. But of course, relaxation is an art and a skill and a lifetime's process. And 
often needs quite a bit of help from other people. Mm. Oh, I like all of that. I, I love uh, and even just the beginning of the conversation there with uh, a cut and healing itself and the miracle of, of just how the body is, is geared toward healing itself and given yeah. the, the, the right support and circumstances. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I think it's important not to be flippant about it because you know, when you look at some people's lives and how, how difficult it's been uh, in terms of their upbringing, and it's like some people, you know, this is a luxury. You know, letting go is a luxury. You know, we're incredibly blessed if we find a place in our lives where we can do this journey at all. Um, because some people can't, won't, you know, they don't have the opportunity to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always taken the view that if anybody who can become more relaxed, authentic and free, that's a good thing. You know, that's wonderful. Then, you, then you get a chance to maybe help other people as a guide, you know, as you were saying. Phil, this has been just a, a really nice conversation. I really enjoyed uh, yeah, me too. just going back and forth and listening to what you have to offer. And it's again, it's really nice to to meet somebody who is familiar with and who has been practicing zero balancing. Um, yeah, just kind of one of those silent brethren, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I just, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And I'd love to kind of keep this open where we can maybe touch base again in the not too distant future and, yeah. and delve a little bit more into, I, I don't, I'll say pain science, but just exploring the different yeah. ways in which that manifests. Yeah. I'd love to. It's been absolutely delicious talking to you. <laughs> well, this brings a close to an episode of The Rockfit Files, and I thoroughly enjoyed having that conversation with Phil. I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to follow us on Instagram because I put out a little bit of content from time to time, and you can keep your thumb on the pulse of what's been going on at, in my world, Rocky underscore Snyder. And we'll see you next week.